0: Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Um, it's a fun day for a lot of folks around, uh, around the church. Today is Pentecost Sunday right? Pentecost Sunday, it is, the, it is the day we celebrate the introduction into the three-piece suits into the church. Is that right? That's not right. It's, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday, and on Pentecost Sunday, we are celebrating uh, the Pentecost that came uh, that we read about in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can go there, put your finger there. We'll get to it in a minute. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending some time today. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a very, very important day in the history of the church. Uh, Pentecost, it, it was the day where uh, the Holy Spirit came on those uh, in the upper room. And, uh, and a couple hundred, twenty people turned the world upside down as a result. And, uh, and so really the rest of the New Testament uh, is written as a response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on all people, on the people of God. Uh, if you look at the letters of Paul, he's writing it to churches, and, and he's trying to tell them, hey, you know, I know this stuff is amazing. Uh, and I know that grace is unbelievable, but, you know, you, you, you can't be getting drunk in communion. You know, stuff like that. And so uh, so he's he's writing these letters throughout the rest of the New Testament to kind of explain about what it is that happened on that day. And the churches that sprung forth from that day needed guidance and direction because the Holy Spirit was poured without measure and it was poured on all flesh regardless of how qualified or equipped or knowledgeable they were. And so... We celebrate on on the day, on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate that incredible thing that happened. And so the question may be, is that, is the Holy Spirit then Pentecostal? You know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're in a series on the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about His ways, we've been talking about, uh, you know, who He is, uh, His personality, His characteristics. How do we host His presence? We've been talking about, all of those sort of things. And now on Pentecost Sunday, the question could be, well, is the Holy Spirit, Spirit is he Pentecostal? And if by Pentecostal you mean, does he wear either a lot of makeup or no makeup, it's really interesting, the different spectrums. If the, usually the hair is piled high on either side of those spectrums. Uh, you know, does he yell at you on a microphone and all of those sort of things? If that's your definition of Pentecostal, then no, the Holy Spirit is not Pentecostal. But if your definition of Pentecostal is biblical and historical then, and all of those sort of things uh, that we're going to find out soon, you'll, you'll come to see the answer is yes, he is very Pentecostal. And so we're going to take some time today on Pentecost Sunday and learn a little bit about what that means. And how, and how does the fact that, that Pentecost Sunday happened? how does that affect us today over 2,000 years ago? Uh, how, do we, how do we think and act and live in light of what happened on that day so long ago? So we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna read some scripture. So Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness. We thank you that you have poured out your spirit on all flesh, that we are living in the days where your spirit is abounding and that we are living in the days that are on the threshold of an incredible outpouring of your spirit and your presence and your power. Lord, would you help us, would you teach us to steward your spirit, to steward the revival that you're sending. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So what is Pentecost? We're going to answer and ask three different questions today, and the first one is just like, what is it? What is Pentecost, and what are we celebrating, and and what are we we here reading about today? And so as we go through these questions, hopefully towards the end, you will realize that Pentecost is very relevant uh, for us here and now uh, at the Nashville Vineyard. So in Acts 2.1, it says that when the day of Pentecost has fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then verse two says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So what does that mean? Right? We're understanding that the scriptures are actually there for a reason, and that they were written in a specific way for a reason, and so we want to take into account everything that it says in the scriptures. And so as we read scriptures, and if you're familiar with verses, you'll tend to pass over things, and things will become less apparent, and so we want to just stay honed in and do simply, what does the scripture say? And how do we respond? And so it says when the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So in the history of the people of Israel, there were three primary major feasts that the children celebrated, children of Israel, that the Lord established for them as a way to remember where they've come from, to remember the things of the Lord, and then also as a dim foreshadow of what was to come. And so the first feast was the Feast of Passover. And the Jews would celebrate this Feast of Passover, and within the Feast of Passover, there were three feasts. There was the Feast of Passover, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and there was the Feast of the First Fruits. And so the the way that it was supposed to work was that all of the Jews from all over the world at that time would come into Jerusalem to celebrate those feasts. And there would be all of these things that they're supposed to do and all of these um, steps and rituals that they're supposed to do down to the hour of what they're to do when and how it's supposed to look and all of that sort of thing. And then from Passover, from the Feast of Passover, uh, what happened is uh, 50 days from then goes Pentecost. And so then the people kind of hung around uh, Jerusalem Back then, because it, it, it took a long time to get from one place to the other. So I figured it took me a month to get here. I'm going to stay here for a couple of months. And so we have these people in Israel celebrating the Feasts of the Passover and the Feasts of Pentecost. And the Feast of the Passover was what the Lord uh, reminded them, they set in place to do, to keep in mind and remember the night that the Spirit of death passed over the children of Israel when they were in Egypt in slavery. And, and they were saved from that death. And the way that the spirit of death passed over was that they took a lamb, uh, they, they slaughtered it, put its blood over the door, and, uh, and, and they knew that they should pass over. And that was essentially that was the last straw that broke Pharaoh's back, and he let the people of Israel go. And so it was sort of the marking of their freedom from bondage and from slavery that they were able to stay alive because they were killing a lamb and using its blood. And so that was the, the feast uh, of Passover. And then we look at the feast um, of Pentecost. And the feast of Pentecost uh, was set to celebrate when uh, Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. That happened 50 days from the time uh, that the, uh, the angel of death passed over and they, they left Egypt. So that was the, uh, the, the meaning of Pentecost. The actual word Pentecost, pentei means 50, and cost means to the 10th power. So Pentecost simply means 50th. So whatever your, your brain is telling you that Pentecost is, whatever your history is telling you that Pentecost is, uh, really Pentecost just means 50th. So if you're afraid of the term Pentecost or Pentecostal, don't be, it just means 50th. Unless you're like 45, then you're probably afraid of 50th, <laughs> right? It's staring at you. That's the only reason to be afraid of Pentecost. So, um, so the, the scriptures tell us that when, uh, in the first verse, in, in verse one, it says that, uh, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, what it means is that the 50th day had arrived. And so it happens 50 days after Passover. But if, if you know the scriptures, you know that Jesus died on Passover. And Passover was a Friday. And he raised on Sunday. And he was around after he raised. He, he hung around for 40 days. And then he left. And then for 10 days, the disciples waited. The people. Waited. And then Pentecost came. So if you're doing the math, it seems a little off. It's interesting. God's smarter than us. And He kind of knew everything because you understand that Passover was fulfilled with Jesus. I mean, He was the fulfillment of Passover, He was the Lamb. That was slain with us but just in case you were wondering if that really is the truth just in case there was any doubt was jesus really the fulfillment of passover this feast that that the people of israel celebrated we look to leviticus 23 15 and 16. the bible is really cool i enjoy it Uh, on 15 it says and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the sabbath from the day that you were brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So seven Sabbaths, seven weeks, seven days in a week, seven times seven is 49. Excellent. You didn't know there'd be a test today. Then 16 says, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. So get this. Passover is one of those floating holidays. It could be on a Tuesday. It could be on a Wednesday. It could be on a Friday. And the Lord knew sort of what was going to happen with Jesus, right, and being facetious. He absolutely knew what was going to happen with Jesus. And he knew that Jesus was going to be killed at Passover, and he was going to be in the grave for three days. And so, with his infinite wisdom and knowledge, he set a protocol in place that said, hey, listen, it's going to float, so in order to measure Pentecost, just start the day after the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath to us may be Sunday, but to the Jews it was Saturday. And so Jesus rose on a Sunday. And so from Sunday to the time we read about in Acts 2, verse 1, it had been 50 days, Pentecost, the fulfillment. So that's what Pentecost is. It's 50, it's 50 days. It's a feast that's celebrating when the Lord gave Moses the law. So the second question is what happened? What's the big deal? Why do we talk about it? Why do some churches talk about it a lot? And why do some churches almost never talk about it? What's what's the deal with Pentecost? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. So we're going to skip down to verse five. And it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse six says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So just to back up a little bit, here's what happened. Jesus dies, stays in the grave, resurrects on Sunday, and for 40 days appears to his followers. People see him all over town, not just the 12. Lots of people see him and he's seen and he's known that it's Jesus, but he's also walking through walls and he's also eating some fish and he's explaining to them the things of the kingdom within these 40 days. It's a really interesting time. So the disciples are sitting here trying to understand what's happening and in their minds they're thinking, oh man, this is it. This is when we get to be kings with him. He's getting ready to throw out the Roman Empire, establish his kingdom on, and Israel as a nation is getting ready to be in the forefront of history again. And then he leaves. And he leaves them somewhat dumbfounded. And we know they're dumbfounded because like, he, he literally just like, ascends like, up into the air. And they're sitting there, and in their brains they're thinking, he's got to come back, right? He's coming back. And they're watching, and their mouths are hanging open, and, and the, this angel appears to them and says, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, did you not just see that? And uh, I like it when angels ask what seem to be stupid questions. It's mainly them telling us that we're stupid. We get it. And so the angel says, hey, just do what he just told you to do. Why don't you just do what he said to do? The one that just, you know, levitated up through the clouds and disappeared. Just do what he said to do. So the disciples say, okay. They go to Jerusalem. They find an attic, and they're just staying in this attic. And they're waiting. Because he said to just go to Jerusalem and wait. And so there they are. And so then we know the story. If you don't know the story, they're waiting. All of a sudden, a sound comes in like a rushing wind. And it fills the room. Tongues of fire land on their heads. They begin speaking in other tongues. Everyone comes from all over to figure out what is going on. Well, the reason that everyone comes from all over is because all of the people were gathered there, because all of the Jews were in the town for the feasts of Pentecost. So when you hear that, that everyone was there and all of the people came, they came because they were there. So in Acts uh, 2, 6, it says, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So all of the Jews, the Jews that lived in Syria, the Jews that lived in Mesopotamia, in Asia, in Africa, that spoke those native languages, came together for the Feast of Passover, stayed through. Now they're here at the Feast of Pentecost, and they hear this sound, and it's early in the morning and they come running to hear what it is they're hearing, and then all of a sudden, they hear languages being spoken. And they hear their own language being spoken. And they were confused because the, the people in that room were the equivalent of rednecks and hicks and people where I'm from. People that are somewhat uneducated, people that are known for being dense, and, and here they are, and they're speaking somehow the language that they know. And furthermore, they're speaking in the, the amazing, wonderful works of God. And the people in the upper room, the Galileans, the, those people, I mean, they were assumed they may not even know anything, much less the wonderful works of God. And the people were confused. And so one of the things that happened on Pentecost is this incredible reversal of the curse that happened in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. See, the Tower of Babel, we had all of these people and they spoke the same language. And they were gathered together, not with a spirit of unity, but with a spirit of rebellion. And they wanted to be better than God. They wanted to be like God. And so they gathered together in a spirit of rebellion. And and instead of a, a humble heart, they had pride in their hearts. And instead... Of being a people of peace and in one accord for the things of the Lord, they were together to sort of dethrone God. And God comes down and he confuses their languages. That's what it says. And so here we see the opposite we see this restoration, this blessing that's overturning the curse. Of what happened in Babel. The people are coming together in one accord in great humility without any pride. They don't know what to do. They're just waiting. And when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the hallmarks of whether or not something that's happening is from the Holy Spirit is, is there's some kind of crazy unity being brought forth. Because one of, the, one of the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit is that whatever it is, it looks like a reversal of Babel. That people from all over, rich, poor, uneducated, educated, wealthy, whatever it is, different ethnicities, different races, different everything, when the Holy Spirit is doing what only the Holy Spirit can do, there's something in there that brings everyone together, which can cause confusion. I don't know if you've noticed anything, but we're in a pretty divisive time right now. There's a lot of people that don't like a lot of people. And there's really no middle ground anymore, it's been eroded, there's no such thing. And everything from race to socioeconomic status, to religion, to politics, to sex, to whatever it is, you name it, is dividing everyone. And so if, if the Holy Spirit of God looks like unity, then the divisive spirit looks like the enemy. And so when we're looking at, we're wondering, we have this cry in our hearts, like everyone wants there to be something that can bring us together somewhere in our hearts. There's this knowing that that there should be a place where everyone can come together and everyone, regardless of race or creed or religion or whatever it is you think is going on, there should be something where we all begin to come into uniformity because we're just people. And we know that, and we try to manufacture it, we try to put in place systems that do that, we try to come up with great ideas, we try to do whatever we can do to bring people together, but I think history has shown that it doesn't really work that well. And, and what I would like for us to begin to do, as we stare like this crazy, divisive culture in the face, is that we begin to pray that the Holy Spirit does what only He can do, and that He brings us together. Because it's going to take a miracle, right? Like, that's not far-fetched to say. Like, to bring everyone together, that's a miracle. Which is the Holy Spirit's job, is to do the miracles. And so instead of getting angry, instead of trying to figure it out, instead of doing all of those sort of things, what if we just took time and prayed? That he would turn our hearts to people that we seem far from, He would turn their hearts to people that they seem far from. And whatever he does, would you just do it again? And when we begin to see the Holy Spirit move, you'll begin to see different people from different backgrounds coming together, loving one another, and there's no real reason for it. And that's what the Holy Spirit looks like. That's what Pentecost looked like. And all of these people were gathered around, because they were confused, because there was a unity that was happening that seemed so foreign, but yet was such a familiar yearning in their hearts. When the kingdom comes, it always is confusing. I think of the, uh, the demoniac that was in chains in the, in, the, uh, in the cemetery and he had chewed through the chains and he was, uh, he was just, you know, on the outskirts of town he would cut himself with rocks and all of those sort of things and the only time that the people got scared was when jesus came and delivered him and he was at peace because that wasn't normal and when the kingdom comes it brings about a peace that is upsetting because we're so used to violence and so we need to be on the lookout for lord what are you doing how are you bringing your peace how can we bring peace So at the celebration of Pentecost, it it was a celebration that was of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So remember the story, if you don't remember the story, you may have seen the movie, where Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets the tablets of stone written on them, the Ten Commandments uh, that that God writes with his finger. So it's a celebration of that. And when the law was given, there was a loud noise. And when the law was given, there was fire. And when the law was given, he wrote it on tablets of stone. And on the day that the law was given to Moses, 3,000 people died. Because the people couldn't, they couldn't do it. And if you read the story, uh, it continues to go on, and the Lord continues to instruct, and he comes down the mountain, and the people are just losing it. And he, he orders the priests, and the priests go around killing 3,000 people. But on the day of Pentecost... The day here in Acts, if we look, we see that it was a fulfillment of that. It was a better version of that. It was a more complete version of that. There was a loud noise. There was fire. The scriptures say that, that, they, that the Lord re- writes his law on our hearts instead of stone. And instead of 3,000 people dying, we actually have an account of 3,000 people being saved because of what happened on that day when the Holy Spirit came to fulfill it. When the Lord writes his law on our hearts, we follow it out of a position of love. We follow his His rules and, and his ways because we're motivated from our hearts as opposed to the stone tablets where we're motivated by fear and fear doesn't ever work in the long run. And if we look back at the history of the people of Israel, they just couldn't keep it together. They were always breaking the law until he came and he wrote the law on our hearts with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, like Jesus made us positionally righteous. His death and his resurrection made us able to be righteous and then the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us to, to carry out that righteousness daily, to walk in that righteousness. And so we can do what the people of Israel no longer did and sometimes we only think about what jesus did as far as our positional righteousness and we forget that the holy spirit actually empowers us to be righteous daily so what that means is we no longer have to be slaves to sin we no longer have to be in the bondage that the people of israel found themselves in because of the holy spirit we now are able to live like jesus And Jesus, we know, was without sin. That doesn't mean we'll ever be completely without sin, but they should be falling away the closer we get to him. And so when you're looking at your life and you're looking at how is it going, am I living a life that's empowered by the Spirit? A great sign of that is, you know, first, are you finding yourself in unity with others? Are you looking from a place of division? And second, are you noticing that sins that you were committing a year ago have fallen away? Because you, you should be overcoming if you're living under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we, when we look at this, we see this incredible thing, the fulfillment that God has been orchestrating. And it's this beautiful picture that he's been in for thousands of years, that he's been getting everything ready for this moment, this fulfillment of this Pentecost. But I want to show you something interesting. If you go to verse 2, which is back there, At the beginning, yeah. And it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I think that word is interesting, and suddenly. Because what we just learned is there was nothing sudden about this, that the Lord had been planning this since, at least since Leviticus. Right For thousands of years, he had had this idea in his brain that, that this was going to happen, or whatever it is he has. He knew that this was going to happen, that he was going to fulfill this. But still we see these inspired scriptures, and it says, and suddenly. And from, from the disciple, from those people in the, in the 120 that were sitting there in the room, this moment that happened was, and suddenly. It was a suddenly to them. Because they had been there for nine days. And nothing had happened. They drew some straws. They replaced a disciple that fell away. They took care of some business. But really nothing had happened that they felt warranted being able to go and wait. And then suddenly, the Holy Spirit came. And what I what I'm thinking of here, what what brings to my mind here is that our end suddenlies are never a surprise to God. And from the perspective of the disciples, it was an end suddenly. But God had been orchestrating this all along. In other words, that he's been thinking of you and thinking of your situation and thinking of where you're at right now in life since Ephesians tells us when he was forming the foundations of the earth and you're going to notice things that happen that are going to be and suddenlies to you but those suddenlies were eons in the making because there's a a thing of preparation where the Lord is getting everything ready and he's preparing you and he's preparing us and he's preparing his church and then there's a timing that he's ordained and when the preparation meets the timing we have and suddenly moments. And we're in a time right now of and suddenly, where it's going to seem to come from nowhere and we're going to be maybe caught off guard and by surprise, but and suddenly he's getting ready to break through. But it's not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to his angels. And I'll give you a hint. It's not a surprise to the demons. And so don't don't be confused if you find yourself in the middle of some pretty intense spiritual warfare. If you find yourself kind of uh, attacked at every angle and life seems uh, pretty crazy bad and and things aren't going that well and and you're having some strange dreams and you're having some strange feelings and you're dealing with all kinds of sort of things, don't be surprised because there's an end suddenly that's getting ready to come. And see, that's a tell. Jesus tells us, like, he saw Satan fall like lightning when, when he was sitting there and the disciples went about because he understood that the enemy was trying to stop it because he could see that there was an end suddenly coming. And there was a fulfillment of Pentecost coming. And so I would just let you know, just let you in on a secret. If there's a breakthrough thing that you've been praying for, if there's something that you've been wanting, if there's things that are in your life that need to happen, don't give up. Like, don't give up on what he's already told you to do. Because the disciples could have given up on day eight. And they could have stayed there. Eight days is a long time to do the same thing all day, all night. And around about the day eight, they could have said, that's pretty good. It's one after seven. God seems to like seven plus one. We did a little extra. Let's call it good. Let's watch some Netflix. (laughs) But they didn't. They stayed. They did what he told them to do 10 days ago, and they kept doing what he told them to do. Sometimes we need to do the last thing he told us to do. And if there's a breakthrough that you're waiting on that doesn't seem to be happening, the question is, have you done the last thing he told you to do? And the last thing Jesus told him to do was wait. And he gave no stipulations. But he said, don't do anything until it comes. And it's coming. And I'll say to you, it's coming. And don't give up on the breakthrough that you need you know when they were in the upper room they weren't just waiting we have a, a word for it if you're if you're from where i'm from i'm fourth generation speaking of pentecost fourth generation pentecostal both sides you have no hope it's pentecost sunday i've got a handheld mic you need to cancel your reservations moving back to 12:30. it's about to get lit up in here no but in the Pentecostal world, they called it tarrying. It wasn't just waiting, it was tearing. It was an active, not a passive. And it was contending. And it was reminding the Lord of his promise. And on day eight and on day nine, they said, look, you told us to wait here. You told us to do it and we're doing it. Would you do it? Would you fulfill your promises? And there were promises that the Lord gave you a long time ago and you need to begin to remind him of those promises because it's getting ready to happen. But, it, but tarrying is an active thing, not a passive thing. Nothing in the kingdom is passive. Faith is active. And so there's this idea of being in this active waiting, pressing in posture of saying, Lord, you said it. You've got to do it again. I need it. Would you come? Would you bring it? And so if you find yourself sitting in a place and you're on day eight of no breakthrough, then I would say make sure that you're doing the last thing he told you to do and then remind him that you're doing it. And wait. And Terry. So the third question is can, can can we experience Pentecost now? Is what happened then... Available to us now? That's the question, right? And so we're going to try and answer that. Acts 2, verse 3, it says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. Notice it says each. Verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, so they're sitting there, it's day 10. They've been tarrying, they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and then all of a sudden, this wind comes in, and there's fire that's resting on each person's head. Now, you've got to think, in that room wasn't just the 12, right? In that room was probably the 12 plus several lepers who had been cleansed, it was probably the 12 plus several prostitutes who, for some reason, Jesus took time. To be with was probably several previously demonized deviants. Was probably Nicodemus, a pretty wealthy, respectable person. And the scriptures say that each one of them received this thing of fire that rested on their head. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't worried about your pedigree. He's not worried about whatever it is you think he's worried about. He is not a respecter of persons. And so you can imagine everyone is sitting there looking at everyone else's head with a big thing of fire on it. That's gotta be pretty trippy. And you gotta be thinking that some of them are going, hey Martha, what did you put in those mushrooms? Like, where did you get those? Because they're, they're sitting there looking at fire, and i got to think, this is, this is my own opinion, that they would see the fire on your head, and then they would look up, and it would kind of go away. And then they would look down, and they would see the fire on your head, but you're seeing the fire on their head. Like, my, my feeling is that it's, you probably couldn't see the, your own tongue of fire. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it may be true because there is an element of faith involved when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit. And there's this, there's this thing that happens where you, you have to have faith that you've received it, which sounds a lot like other things in the kingdom, like Jesus. How do you receive Jesus? Through faith. Through the faith that he has rescued you, that he really did pay for your sins. And it's that same faith, I think, that is required to realize that you have received the fulfillment of Pentecost yourself. It's faith. So the question is, can we experience that? Can we? So let's flip back to Acts 1, verse 4. This is Jesus before he sort of levitated out of the picture. And he says, uh, he's speaking to the disciples, and he says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Acts 1.5 says, For truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So the promise on Acts 1-4, he says you will receive the promise, and then he says it's the Spirit. So the promise he's speaking of is the Holy Spirit, right? We get that. We know that. So now if we go back to chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come. Everyone is around. We've done the fire, and, and we're now speaking in tongues, and everyone's gathered about, and they're accusing the disciples of being drunk. Peter stands up. And he delivers the first Holy Spirit-inspired sermon, and this, you know, potentially dull fisherman is recalling exact Old Testament Scripture references, and he's piecing all the puzzles together uh, in real time, and he's preaching to everyone, and all of the multitudes were there, and their hearts are rent, the Scriptures say, and they say, what should we do? And so we pick up on Acts 2, verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit is to all who are far off. That is a direct biblical reference to me, to you, to all who are far off. That's us that's it so can you do that is that only for that time no we're far off we get to participate a side note just a little quick thing here remember this whole diatribe that Peter is giving is about the Holy Spirit 3,000 people get saved but it doesn't say everyone and so, I want you to understand that sometimes the Holy Spirit, when He comes, there will be people that understand, their eyes are open, they will get saved, and then there are people that will say, you're just drunk. You're just an idiot. And that's difficult. But it didn't seem to faze Peter too much. And if you're worried about whether or not what people will say you may not stand up and speak because you're, you don't want to be called a drunkard or an idiot or whatever. So just keep that in mind. So and also remember that there's three feasts we talk about. Three feasts, right? The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Trumpets. We understand that the fulfillment of Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died, right? Remember Jesus, uh, in the Passover, there are three feasts, the Passover, the unleavened bread, and the first fruits. The Passover is when they would take a spotless lamb, and the spotless lamb would die for the sins of the people. That was Jesus, we know that. And we said that God was pretty specific about the instructions of these feasts, and so so actually at 9 o'clock in the morning on Passover, in the morning of Passover, you're to take the lamb, and sorry, you slit its throat, and that's how they would kill it. Um, and so uh, that happened at 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, at 9 o'clock in the morning on this Passover, that was talked about in the scriptures, is when they put the nail in Jesus' hands on the cross. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they were to take the lamb and put it in a stone oven. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon on this Passover, they took the lamb, our Savior, and put him in a tomb stone tomb You see it's the fulfillment God wanted to make it really clear that it was fulfilled then the father would take uh, this loaf of unleavened bread in the in the house in the people of Israel so they would they would do the thing with the lamb and then they would take this thing of unleavened bread and he would hide it in the house this is what the Lord told him to do. And so he'd take the bread and hide it somewhere in the house. Uh, the father of, of that, the patriarch of that family would. And then the Sabbath after Passover, he would go he would and retrieve the unleavened bread and he would wave it in the air as a first fruits, as a symbol. Well, just in case we're still catching up, Jesus was hidden by the Father and then raised again and the scripture tells us as a first fruit well, on that Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath. And so we see, like, unequivocally, man, Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. I'm, I'm belaboring this, but it's for, it's for a reason, so bear with me. So we have, we have Pentecost, and then we have the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. So within the Feast of Tabernacles, there's three feasts. There's the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Now, the Feast of Tabernacles has yet to be fulfilled. Theologians, everyone on the Christian side of this thing says, that's not fulfilled. But when that happens, there will be a trumpet, right? The, the, uh, the Savior, Jesus, will come. He will return to earth. There will be a day of judgment. But for those that are saved in Jesus and through his atoning work will actually be spared of the judgment and will be able to be with our Father. Another word for that is tabernacle, with our Father. So let me. the question is, do we get to experience the fulfillment of Passover today? In other words, do we get to be saved through what Jesus did on the cross today, even though we're not there at that point? will we get to experience what happens at the Feast of Tabernacles? Even if we're not alive at that point? Yeah, the scriptures even tell us that the dead will actually go first. So regardless of whether or not we're alive at the time, regardless of when it happens, we get to participate in both of those. So why would it stand to reason that we couldn't participate in the fulfillment of Pentecost? It doesn't. It's illogical. But a lot of people think that whatever happened on Pentecost happened for that specific time, and we're out of that one. But it doesn't really fit in with the overarching theme of Scripture. It's not very plainly stated in Scripture. And in fact, most people now are coming to the idea that it is, at least intellectually, we should be able to experience whatever happened at Pentecost. But there is somewhat of a divide. Because I don't know, I haven't seen a tongue of fire yet right? But there's a faith that's involved. And so the answer is yes, we get to experience Pentecost. And just like those 120 people, you can actually begin to experience that incredible, amazing empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So there's this story of a, of a, a pastor And he's pretty famous. I didn't know who he was, but apparently he's pretty famous. And he wrote uh, a book about turkeys and eagles. If you know stuff about, you may know that book, I don't know. But he pastors a church, he's a real guy, really pastors a uh, pretty large Baptist church down in Titusville, Florida for about 30 years. And he was getting ready to do a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And so he was in time of study, and in time of preparation, he was in his quiet time. And he felt like the Lord asked him, have you received the Holy Spirit? And he said, well, yeah, of course. Of course I have received him. When I accepted Jesus as my Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. So therefore, I have received him. He was teaching God theology. I love that. And, uh, and so at around that time that the Lord spoke, uh, this, this gentleman's mother-in-law just came to live with him. And so the Lord said, interesting, have you received your mother-in-law? And he said, "Uh, not fully. Because his mother-in-law was living with him in his house, but it was his mother-in-law and there were some things that they were working out. And so his answer was not fully. And so he said, isn't that interesting that you're able to have someone come live inside your house but you're not fully yet to receive him? And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Yes, he did come and live inside of you when you're saved, which, by the way, that's true. When you, when you accept Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, when you, when you bow your knee to him, the Holy Spirit comes and to live in you, but there's this thing that you have to do. You have to receive him, which means that you have to sort of lay down the things that you're afraid of. You're, you have to lay down the, the things that he can and can't do, the rules and the stipulations that you've put on him, and just say, this is your house. And so in the same way the guy and his mother-in-law hadn't yet figured out what she can and can't do, he was just supposed to say, this is your house. Do whatever you want to do. Of course you can. And so it is with us in the Holy Spirit. If you have actually bowed your knee to Jesus, then he's inside of you. But the question is, have you received him fully? Have you taken off the boundaries that he can and can't cross? Have you said, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, have it it's your house and that's the key and then by faith accepting him and receiving him by faith and just saying I want everything you have I want you to do whatever you want to do you're God and I'm not so just please take control but it is very possible if not probable that the sins of our fathers and mothers, the things that we've heard and seen in the past, our preconceived notions, our bad theology, can keep the Holy Spirit from actually being received and taking ownership and taking over. And you can relegate him to things that he can and can't do. And you can be okay with him giving you goosebumps in worship, but that's as far as we're gonna get. And we talked about this the other day, that grieves him. And so for our ministry time, we're going to take some time, we're going to worship. And during this worship, I I would like for us to just ask the Holy Spirit, have we, is there any, have we put up any sort of walls? Culturally, have we accepted walls? Have Have we kept you from certain places in our life? And listen, you have to make a choice. You can't choose being respectable and letting him do whatever you want. You can't have both of those. And if we choose that we want to be a respectable person that has everything in order, that's afraid of a mess. Like I said, the rest of the New Testament was cleaning up the mess. And if we we want to be respectable, then we're saying the Holy Spirit that he can only do certain things at certain times, certain ways, and that's not receiving him fully. But you have a choice that you're, you're going to always have to face, and that's between the respectability and the anointing. And, and where we're going, we want to choose the latter, right? And whatever that looks like. So we're going to worship. And in this worship time, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, are there things that I've told you that are off limits? Are there things that I think you can't do, or shouldn't do, or wouldn't do? And then repent, tell him you're sorry, because he's God after all. And who are we to tell God what he can and can't do? And then say, I just receive you fully. I'm scared. Just like the guy I'm sure was scared to let his mother in law in the bedroom. But it's only her house if that's where she can go if she wants. And so there may be some fear about, I don't know what this is going to mean. But you get it. You get a blank check. Whatever you want to do, spend me on it. So Holy Spirit, would you bring about your conviction of where we've kept you relegated? If the places in our hearts, places in our minds, the places in ministry, in our offices, in our friend group, those things that are kind of off limits to you, even subconsciously, the lines that we're not willing to cross for you, would you show us where those are? And then would you knock them down? Would you take full control? Fill us all the way up. We want to receive you by faith. Would you come? And so, as you begin to deal with that during this time of worship, say that prayer. And then we're going to have a time that we're going to invite, we're going to open up the altars. And if you'd like to have us lay hands on you, that you receive that fully as they did in Scripture, we'd love to do that. If you need prayer for anything, this will be the time to be in prayer. But right now, let's spend some time letting Him sort of say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? I'm here for a reason you have me here for a reason what are you trying to say so come holy spirit for all upcoming events for more information about the national Vineyard church please check us out at www.nationalvineyard.org thank you again for listening and we hope you have a great day